Welcome back to the Global Greek Influence Podcast. I'm Panagiotto Pimenidou. To be up to date with news from the Global Greek Influence Podcast and suggest your topics, subscribe, like and review the Global Greek Influence Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM and four more podcasting platforms. You can contact the Global Greek Influence through the podcast, Facebook and Twitter accounts, the podcast website, globalcreekinfluence.com and LinkedIn page. Many of us might have wondered in the past years if this is a period of enlightenment and progress not only in technology and its advancements, also in humanity's values. Could our times be those of the age of entanglement, which requires open-mindedness and curiosity, as discussed in the episode The Hybrid Innovation? There's actually a definition of the design thinking. Uh, they don't call it open-minded specifically. They don't use this terminology. They say the prepared mind. The prepared mind. So prepared mind equals uh, experimentation, empathy, and open-mindedness. This is what is open-mindedness. Empathy, first of all, to empathize with the customers facing the problem. Of course, this is a philosophy that deals with the human-centric problems. It is not how to extract, uh, for example, uh, a chemical from an asteroid. <laughs> It is human-centered uh, problems. And, of course, experimentation. And as I like to say, experimentation is the best type of thinking. You have to move fast, and there is also a relatively new term used in business, initially developed by author uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb and later popularized by Bill Olet of MIT uh, about anti-fragility. Now we live in a, in a world where things are speeding up and uh, Bill calls that uh, the, the law of uh, Trudeau and Sue Siegel. Uh, that not only things are moving fast, but they are also accelerating and they will keep accelerating in the future. We live in a, in a random, often volatile world, and we need to adapt to these changes. But adaptation is not enough. Resilience is not enough. Resilience is being able to absorb the shock, the shocks. Antifragility is a far broader and uh, and deeper term that encapsulates the ability to absorb the shocks, but also feed on these conditions to grow. So the key question is, how do we develop anti-fragile professionals, people, kids, and anti-fragile organizations? How can organizations embed this, this type of, uh, of uh, philosophy or, let's say, way of doing things into their operating system? Sense-making is one of them. Speed and agility is the other. Experimentation and always the continuous refinement of things is another. Uh, continuous lifelong learning, definitely. Uh, and also the cultivation of, um, of a collective sense-making and of a leadership model, it always comes down to leadership, that that favors the creation of convergent type of products and services and free flow of information everywhere.
So these are pretty much, in a nutshell, the key characteristics of the, of the anti-fragile organization. To do things in life, we have to prioritize. As the proverb ascribed to Plato says, a good beginning is more than half of the whole. But what happens when we do not give priorities or what to do to prioritize as discussed in the special episode The Internationalization of the Pony Creek's Genocide? Why haven't we talked about the genocide of the Pony Creeks before the 1980s in Greece? Okay, you start with a very, very hard question and the question that really hurts us uh, because this... Uh, This shows uh, a little bit uh, our uh, inactiveness, uh, lack of uh, decisiveness, and uh, really you cannot single out one factor that played uh, to, to our policy, but I can tell you that uh, uh, there were at least four, five, maybe more very, very important factors to be taken into account. And we will start with, with something, uh, if you want, you know, uh, uh, as regards, you know, our internal policies. So you know, after the dictatorship, and despite the anti-Turkish feeling due to the invasion and the occupation of the north part of Cyprus, the right-wing government was afraid to be portrayed as ultra-nationalist. So they did not want to speak about, you know, uh, the, the, the Pontic Greek. And here, it's not only the Pontic Greek, by the way, because we had also the other Greeks uh, uh, that were uh, massacred in a genocide, uh, along with all the Christian, of course, population in, in, in uh, 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 the former uh, Ottoman Empire, but the Turks, we know that. So uh, they were afraid, the government was afraid to really speak about that, but of course it was also the policy of appeasement vis-a-vis -vis Turkey, and this has also been even during the dictatorship. So I don't know if you remember, there was a very, very uh, 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 well-known incident in 1972, probably you have heard about it, uh, you were not born, obviously, uh, but uh, uh, in the song festival of Thessaloniki, the Turkish consulate objected the lyrics of two songs. One was about Hagia Sophia, and the other was, you know, Come Back Apostolis, both very successful songs. And the dictatorship censored them. So we were really very, very, very much into appeasement of Turkey. How about external factors? I mean, think about NATO. We had all this, you know, idea that the main enemy, you know, is the Warsaw Pact. And I can tell you as a former military, because I lived in this era, by the way. So I remember that, you know, that the, the, the enemy number one was, uh, uh, you know, the, the uh, Warsaw Pact. So I can tell you that it was a matter of solidarity. We did not really want, and NATO put some pressure uh, to us. I would say the, the Americans put some pressure to, our, to us. And that was despite our withdrawal from NATO military structures. You remember that as well after the invasion, the Cyprus invasion. So we did not want to have tensions with another member state, even with Turkey, even after 1974, which of course, I, I think this is it's a little bit or very much irrational. Now, if, this is, if these are the really political reasons, I think that it's also important to say that we never prioritized this. They really prioritized, you know, the, the, the recognition of the genocide. For Greece, it was always, you know, a second, third, fourth rate uh, issue. We had, you know, from the civil war and Cyprus and Macedonia and migration, you know, and whatever. Other issues, we never, never, it never became a priority 
uh, for Greeks. And when I say for Greeks, not only for Greek government. And this is the important thing, not, not even, you know, for people. So probably the last thing I can say about that, I think it was the less active involvement at the time of the Pontian Greek, uh, you know, organized clubs, groups, organization of the diaspora. Maybe, maybe it's because I, I don't know why. Transportation, communication uh, were not at the time. There were only two TV channels. The groups were not easily, you know, organized. I don't know really why the Pontian Greek, uh, you know, diaspora was not that active uh, before the 80s and actually late 80s. And the last point is that it was the first time in the late 80s that we had some cooperation across the aisle in the Greek parliament because usually we had, you know, fights. So uh, um, in some issues, of course. So uh, it was the first time that the, the, the uh, patriotic part of the social party and, uh, you know, the, the, the right-wing part, some MPs really, really, really agreed upon the necessity to uh, uh, highlight the genocide, the Greek genocide. And of course, part of the Greek genocide, probably the most important, is the Pontic Greek genocide. Chaos has transcended centuries and humanity. Now, during the pandemic, as in the episode We Will Always Have Chaos, we see the importance of communication and the need for a shared vision and empathy to transition from being to becoming. Uh, humanity uh, faced pandemics before. It's not the first time, but it's the very first time that the world faces a pandemic at a time that we are so much interconnected and in a time that we have so much information and at a time that um, everybody has the possibility to say his opinion in a so fast way on social media and uh, anything that uh, comes up to him or her. Uh, during the last pandemic with SARS in Hong Kong in 2003, there was still the time without Facebook and uh, the other social media. Um, I think uh, one of the les lessons we learned from the pandemic is that um, we need more um, compassion um, and uh, we need more empathy in the world. Um, there is more solidarity needed and especially here in Europe, because we speak about uh, solidarity and uh, uh, the message that uh, European countries give to the outside world is that it's only about money. Uh, no, it's not only about money. When the Italians were dying by thousands in the beginning of the pandemic and some countries were reluctant to act, because of the cost, then you lose the European Union. People lose the connection with the European Union. And then they vote for populists and outright. Another lesson is about communication is that 
um, there was a, a misconception from the beginning and there was um, a mistake that has been done but the uh, governments of the member states and uh, the, um, the institutions of the European Union in Brussels, it was that they did not take into account the specific profile of the target audiences. We have two kinds of audiences that we have to uh, be specific about, except the general public. We have the, 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 the deniers and we have those that are hesitant. So, um, and uh, that was um, a thing that was not uh, very well conceived from the beginning, the differentiation of the target audiences in communications. The same mistake was not only done by officials, but also by academic, by scientists who entered the, 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 the social media. Uh, and uh, I believe that um, the member states um, they adopt the message and differentiate the, the communication towards deniers and those that are uh, hesitant. I would say that the European leaders have failed in communicating a shared vision and uh, taking a, a real commitment to reassure the European citizens that the Union is there for them. The European countries have taken a national approach focusing less on solidarity and coordination. Although I think that uh, the, the, the virus is a good opportunity uh, for, for organizations, private or public organizations, to show empathy, to show a kind of attitude and reach out to people and not clients, uh, voters or consumers. Innovation beyond current terms is key in becoming, based on the evolution of being. Building a future with a vision beyond the transitioning phase of hybrid alliances and hybrid research has been discussed in the episode Future Geostrategic Leadership through Hybrid Alliances, a Transition. No, we need leaders. <laughs> we need leaders. <laughs> we need innovators. We need people that will think outside the box. It's 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 only normal. Um, we don't we, we we don't need people to just manage the daily operations or if you want to call it the long term operation. Exactly because we have hybrid alliances come along. Um, we need leaders that speak the international and global language without. Uh, if you want, and I'm, I'm talking about the the the, the Greek. Uh, if you want system, ecosystem of, of how the, I anticipate the future. And we need leaders that will allow youth to create their own future. Um, I've seen Greece all over the world, and I've seen a lot of scientists in their own field and interest, uh, from agriculture and water sciences to medicine and, and, as you said, artificial intelligence, space, 
and so on and so forth. A lot of people would not know that Deep Space One, for example, one of the engineers was a Greek person. Um, and you have a lot of a lot of other people, very very high level in the banking system, and so on and so forth. JP Morgan, for example, you you got you got the CEO of JP Morgan, he's of Greek origin as well. You got Pfizer now, you got COVID COVID nineteen, and you got Pfizer. The CEO of Pfizer is also uh, Greek. So you you have like in all sectors, but they need to be a framework and therefore leadership for a leader that actually says, listen, you come now and we will distribute you in a future-based society and we will facilitate all amendments of law considering the needs of operations and the needs to innovate. Um, at the same time, we need to facilitate and simplify rules and regulations. We need to apply this at a European level and a global level to apply rules and regulations that allow for countries which are not soft powers, which are not hard powers, but are intermediate powers in the sense of medium-sized powers, such as Greece, to become innovators in their own respective field and to be acknowledged for that capacity of manpower and abilities that they have. In fact, in Greece over the last years, it seems that the, you know, the, the current government has been doing very good steps. I'm just, I just would like to see... Uh, not only with this government, but also with the future governments to come and politicians and representatives, because they're constituent representatives in the parliament, to continue this tactic that will allow, one, to grow a new economy and therefore the opportunities, and two, to connect with the minds and hearts of people, not only of Greece, but to the world. There was a time that Greece was the cradle of civilization, and we should think like this. But civilization in the modern time world requires so far-fetched dreams that people would say, well, maybe not possible for X, Y, Z reasons. It does require an economy support, absolutely. It does require scientific support, absolutely. My bid and my take on this is more at a strategic level to, to help initiate and ignite that discussion where multinationalities should be involved because people from around the world have the capacity to work and operate. We live in a global environment that should be clear, but at the same time, we should implement innovation, application, and become aware of the opportunities and the suggestions that come by from clean energy and the future of energy, the exploitation of the sun and future exploitation to star uh, to star explorations, to, to outer space explorations, and so on and so forth. In fact, in Greece, inside Greece, in electrical engineering and mechanical engineering, universities in Greece have been doing a very good job. And also in star, uh, in, in outer space exploration as well. And the, uh, you know, the MOUs that have been existing with, with entities such as NASA, not only with the previous government, but also other governments in the past. Uh, I don't know if you know, but Aristotle University, for example, has had an, a collaboration with NASA for many, many years. It's not like the, the previous this government actually found out about that. But at the same time, we need to think forefront. So there are some standards that we have to find, and these are like five. One is energy consumptions and sustainability and protection of the climate. And this is very important, not only for the economy, but without tangible uh, resources, we can't do anything. Number two, human capital and demographics. We really need to have future youth to do that. In the meantime, we're losing the war on COVID. Greece has more than 60,000, 16,000 dead people over the last year through COVID. And that, as you can understand, has an implication into society and to the psychological impact of the society. Uh, number three is 
technological agility, the willingness of politicians to acknowledge that either they know or they don't know, but they should learn how to do it and be able to do that. And number four is financial support. Financial support, without it, you can't do too much. But investment, foreign investment, and a create of national investment scheme would actually suffice. I know that there is a small uh, scientific, if you want, financial eligibility, but it needs to be more. It needs to be simplified. And in this case, I also think that the European Union will play a pivotal role, not only with Horizon 2028, but in the future to come. A transition happens to become from being a hybridization or a synthesis that makes the continuum between the past and the future. What elements do we choose to keep to becoming from being? In the episode The Past Defines Us, the end of philosophy and the beginning of the Middle Ages, the Byzantines, we saw if philosophy from its original roots and causation ended, or if that was a continuum for philosophy into a transforming society and human history. The, uh, the basic characteristic of philosophical thought in late antiquity would be syncretism. Syncretism is the combination of foreign elements into a new synthesis that is uh, at the same time uh, like a quilt of various cultures and various ideas. It's highly eclectic, but it is original as well. So, uh, for instance, the Platonism of Iamblichus is old and at the same time new. In the same way, since this was the prevalent, the modus operandi of science in late antique society, inevitably that bled through also to the thinkers of Christianity. If you want my opinion, if it wasn't for Neoplatonism, there wouldn't be any theology in Christianity because you know, in, in Christianity, that's a personal opinion, uh, you have uh, the theology that is totally different from, you know, the religious aspect, the apocalyptic aspect. These are two different things. Uh, so the theology that is uh, concocted and uh, elaborated on during the first uh, centuries, well, from the first, second, up until the fourth, uh, with all the uh, let's say, celebrated church fathers, that owes its uh, rhetoric, its vocabulary, its thinking process exactly to the same processes that the pagan pagan philosophers used, uh, especially to Neoplatonism. Next week, on Monday, 27 December 2021, in exclusive live streaming on YouTube and podcast episode, on Sunday, the 2nd of January 2022, Marius Kutsukos and I will explore the influence of the late antiquity philosophical movement of Neoplatonism on Christianity and Orthodoxy, but also the earlier ancient Greek philosophical school's effects on Neoplatonism. Until next Sunday, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year! 